It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Rising tensions across the Middle East amid fears of a wider regional war. Warnings the war in Gaza could escalate following the death of a senior Hamas figure in an apparent assassination in Lebanon. Meanwhile, more than 100 people are killed in two bomb blasts at a remembrance ceremony in Iran. It's been branded a terrorist attack. A worrying start to 2024 here, as a woman in her 40s becomes the third person to die in the country's roads since New Year's Day. We debate the road safety issue. And we also look forward to the big political stories of 2024. Tensions are soaring across the Middle East after a 24-hour period of intense violence in Gaza, Lebanon and further afield in Iran. The UN and several world leaders have called for restraint as fears grow that the war in Gaza could escalate into a wider regional conflict. It's following the death of a senior Hamas figure in a blast in the Lebanese capital, Beirut. And more than 100 people died in explosions at a ceremony in Iran, which has been labelled a terrorist attack by Iranian officials. Because of the escalating tensions and the fragility of the situation in the region, we are calling to, for maximum restraint from all parties. We don't want any, any, rash, any rash actions that could trigger further violence. I'm joined now live from Tel Aviv in Israel by news correspondent Trent Murray. Trent, you're welcome along to the programme tonight. We had the Hezbollah leader, Hassan Nasrallah, giving a major speech today. What did he have to say? Well, he described it as a dangerous act uh, that occurred in Beirut that will not pass without punishment. This was a speech that we were widely anticipating. It was going to be... Uh, Hassan Nasrallah's first real public comment since that strike deep in the heart of the Lebanese capital. Now, what he said was that Hezbollah is not afraid of an all-out war with Israel and is willing to fight with no limits. But we did also hear some of the strategic national considerations that he is having to make right now because he knows that if Lebanon is dragged into this war, then the death toll uh, and the destruction across that country would be huge. But Hezbollah has always warned uh, Israel that if it launched a strike within Beirut, that it would be a response. They said uh, that it was a red line that Israel should not cross. And seemingly, uh, Israel has now done that. I don't think we saw any sort of immediate uh, risk here of a major escalation being announced in that speech. Uh, but I certainly think it's one that will have been monitored very closely by the Israelis who do remain on high alert. Now, Israel hasn't put its hands up to that apparent assassination of the senior Hamas leader Salah al-Aruri uh, in southern Beirut, as you say. But there are rising tensions, certainly, um, between Le Lebanon and Israel and where this could go from here. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, Israel is saying it won't confirm or deny uh, its involvement here. But what we do know is that for weeks, months, really, they've consistently been saying to the Hamas leadership effectively, look, regardless of where you are in the world, uh, we are going to hunt you down. And it would appear, based on what we've seen, they have now acted on that threat. Uh, on that warning, really. And, and that is why I think a lot of attention now is, is focused on that border between Israel and Lebanon. We have seen consistent rocket fire back and forth, but I guess almost tit for tat, you could describe it. Not a major escalation, but certainly many diplomats here have been warning for a long time that look, if, if Hezbollah was to enter this conflict, then it would get very deadly. They are sitting on an enormous stockpile of missiles and rockets, some long-range ones that can reach deep within places like Tel Aviv and other parts of Israel. So we know for that reason the Israeli army has been placed today on its highest state of alert. We know also that the chief of the IDF has been visiting in the past few hours some of those northern commands up on that border. I think as many on the Israeli side and others across the region just wait to see now if there is any further response apart from that very tough rhetoric we heard in Hassan Nasrallah's speech. And Trent, also in Iran today, as we were saying at the top of the programme, at least 103 people now confirmed dead in twin blasts at a commemoration ceremony um, for a commander in, in uh, Kerman. Um, what are Iran saying about um, that attack and who are they blaming for it? Well, they have vowed a harsh response to this attack. This is the deadliest attack that Iran has seen in many, many years. We know hundreds, really thousands of mourners were there to pay their respects to Qassam Soleimani. He, at one point, was considered the second most powerful man in Iran, but killed by that Donald Trump-ordered airstrike in Baghdad airport four years ago. Those twin explosives uh, hit at a very busy time as people were going to visit his gravesite. Uh, in terms of responsibility, I mean, we just don't know yet. Uh, Israel has said uh, to its allies, according to the Wall Street Journal, that they had no involvement in this. It's worth noting there are other groups in Iran, including ISIS, including dissident groups, um, Arab uh, uh, groups that are looking to leave Iran and gain their own independence. They have all had their own run-ins at one point in time with the Iranian government. Uh, but according to the Israeli president tonight and also the Ayatollah, uh, they are saying that the country's reaction when they do find out who, does, who did this will be swift and overwhelming, in their words. Hey, Trent Murray joining us from Tel Aviv tonight. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm joined now by Fianna Fáil TD, James O'Connor, and Independent Deputy Verona Murphy, and by Shane O'Donoghue, editor with CompleteCar.ie, to talk about the worrying rise in road deaths, because last year saw the highest death toll in a decade. And so far this year, three people have lost their lives in just three days this year. We're three days, of course, into the new year, um, and already some stark fatalities. Um, you know, Shane, to bring you in on this, 184 people killed on Irish roads last year. That's a 19% jump um, that we have seen compared to 2022. Uh, why do you think this is happening? Well, I mean, we saw this coming, didn't we, last year? In the number of accidents, there were a number of crashes, number of collisions. We saw it coming in, but now to see at the end of the year, the summary, 19%, it's really, really shocking. And it's, there's no simple answer, really. There's no silver bullet that we're all looking for. Um, I think it's just a build-up. Personally, I think it's a build-up of bad driver behaviour, 
and it has happened or has been enabled by less and less guard enforcement on the roads than there has ever been or has been for a long time. And I think we have a long way to go. You know, we need to fix that on one hand and then long term, perhaps we need to look at the driving test or driver education rather and the two pronged approach, see if we can fix it. But it isn't going to be fixed instantly, unfortunately. Mm. And when we say bad driver behaviour, what do you think is changing? Is it, is it the use of more technology? People are on their phones, they're distracted. Or what, what do you think it's down to? I think that maybe that's part of it, but I think it comes down to people getting away with little things. So it starts with little things. So you're stuck in traffic every day and you're seeing somebody using a bus lane and you're seeing them getting away with it every day. So next day, maybe you go, oh, I'm going to use the bus lane. Everybody else is doing it. And now then before you know it, they're speeding up the bus lane because, you know, they want to do it quickly because they know they're doing wrong. And the next thing you go through a red light and go, oh, nobody's stopping me. Yeah, sure, that's only just gone red. I'll go through that. And I think that all builds up and builds up and builds up. And you go from a normal driver who was sticking to the law, suddenly not. And you have a lot more of that happening, in my opinion. And Verona, would you agree with that, that what we are seeing is uh, sort of driver behaviour, just, you know, people not sticking to the rules of the road because they can get away with it? Yeah, because we have, in effect, uh, we've reduced our traffic core, which is now called the police roads policing unit, by 20% also. In, Ten years ago, we had 800 guardie in that division. We now have 640. And I don't think um, it's a criticism to say that that is a direct correlation to the policing policy of the then new commissioner in 2018, Drew Harris, who decided that he was going to increase the amount of admin guardie over the amount of foot soldiers. So I don't think we're, we're now in a position where we don't have the footfall to actually add into the roads policing unit. And I think all of those things combined, as well as the fact that our roads budget for maintenance is reduced in Wexford alone, where we have a deficit of 68 million for road maintenance, which shows that our infrastructure is poor, things like that. So I think there is a number of factors. And I think Reducing speed limits, as is proposed, will only be effective if it's policed. So we either need more Gatso vans or more Gardaí. And I think the reality is we have a better chance of more speeding vans because we don't need man Gardaí to, to actually put them in place, whereas the Gardaí numbers are dwindling and massaging figures is not the answer. OK, you know, so you, th you think that any sort of new speeding rules or legislation that can come into effect is happening because it's easy to put a speeding van in place rather than having boots on the ground or the Absolutely. side of the road. But again, it's only going to be effective if we have the Gardaí to enforce it. I mean, we have an, we had 28th of December is the newest amount of recruits gone into Templemore. There were to be 159. There are 109, 50 have deferred. That's worrying. Right. Um, James, to bring you in on that, because when we do talk about um, these highest figures that we have seen in a decade, and people are saying, what is, what's going wrong? Why is this happening now? And at the same time, it does correlate with 641 members um, being, you know, policing the roads, members of the Gardaí, compared to 1,000 in 2009. We've seen a big drop-off in the number of Gardaí enforcing those rules of the road. Do you believe that's partly to blame 
for the rise in road fatalities that we're seeing? Well, the two main facets of concern for me, quite frankly, has been the demise of the confidence of the public in the NCT system and its operational capacity, but also ongoing issues. So you're, 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 sorry, so well. you're looking at this from an NCT point of view, like the roadworthiness of vehicles. And also from road tests, from, from driver testing in Ireland as well, and every TD in Okay, the but can we get you, back to the Garda and the enforcement so. issue um, there? Um, because it's something Shane has mentioned, and Verona as well that you know, driving on the road and sticking to the rules of the road is the one thing, but if you do not have good behaviour being enforced and you have let fewer Gardaí enforcing that than recent years, you have to look at that. No, I certainly agree. I think that's a very important part of policing our roads and the reduction in the number of Garda members of Garda Síochána serving in the traffic corps. Some of that decision at the time revolved around the dramatic decrease in deaths on our roads. Unfortunately, now they have gone the opposite way. This is deeply concerning. I think it's an apolitical issue all of us want to work on to ensure that this is rectified as a matter of urgency. I would support uh, Garda numbers being, uh, being posted on, on traffic duties increasing. Uh, I think that should be done uh, very quickly in the new year by the Commissioner of Angarda Siakana. Is but it I just being want done? To make... Because we've had Garda, uh, uh, the Garda Commissioner uh, continually, I suppose, depending, um, you know, the management of traffic and road safety. Well, the statistics don't tell a lie. And I think that's something we all have to take into strong consideration. And for the devastation left behind by these fatalities, and also for the multiple injuries that occur in these car, car accidents, there is a serious urgency for us to tackle the problem. But I do want to make this point, and I think it's important that we don't back away from it. We have a crisis within our driver testing system in Ireland where people are having to wait for over six months to get a driving test in certain locations of the country. When it comes to the recruitment of new driver testers in Ireland as well, they're significantly under target. And when it comes to NCT testing in some parts of the country, where they're targeting a 28-day waiting period under their SLAs, uh, some parts of the country, including Yall, my own hometown, has, according to the Daily Mail, uh, as of three weeks ago, the longest wait in the country of over six months. So to whose get fault is that? I think it, it lies ultimately the body with responsibility in this area is the Road Safety Authority. I've summoned it's them before not, the Transport it's not, Committee on multiple it's not occasions a, to It's not a this. Department of Transport issue. It certainly it's is. Rest with the state, to, with to, the government. To, to, I'm not trying to push responsibility onto the political figures here, but there is a body here tasked with this issue that has responsibility from a statutory perspective. And I think for us as politicians, it's very important that any company, whether they're private or a state body, that has a role in this has to fulfil their commitments. All right, well, we're hearing a couple of issues here, Verona, with the, the, the Road Safety Authority. James is, is saying, ultimately, when it comes to NCD testing, roadworthiness of cars, we don't know, are they, are they some of the cars that are involved in these, in these accidents that we're seeing? Um, and also driver um, test delays, which can lead to inexperienced drivers taking to the roads, um, getting behind the wheel, and, and that's something that's not safe. It's, it's up to the RSA to make sure they're doing the job right, and they're not. Well, the RSA only have certain powers, and I think the real power to enforce any of these issues is actually on Garda Síochána. And what's telling here is that in 2018, the Commissioner's proposal was that he would increase road traffic policing to the number of 1,035 Gardaí. He hasn't and will not meet those targets. Uh, sorry, that was by 2021. We're in 2023 and the figures have gone backwards. These are questions that need to be asked and answered. Now we're in a position where we have a serious recruitment and retention crisis. There is no doubt about it. All the factors mentioned by James and Shane are adding up to serious road deaths. Now, 
bear in mind well, we've had an James, increase. James is prioritising now the Road Safety Authority over, over the Gardaí on those issues. Oh, I didn't around. say that, well, so I want to be very clear on that. Well, OK, well, 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 now, when I did ask you the question... No, when I did ask the question, you did say now the NCT and you said the driver testing... I think that there are more than one facet to this, and I'm not trying to discredit the issue of Gardaí Síochána. Do you believe those are big issues, NCT and the driver testing? They certainly are issues, and I think that they may not be the biggest issue. I think from the stats that we see, speeding is the biggest issue, and none of those two, NCT or driver testing, will resolve a speeding issue. It is going to be enforcement and enforcement alone. And if we do not have boots on the ground, we need to see more speed vans, but we need to see more enforcement. Okay. Uh Bruno says we need to see more enforcement, Shane. What we have the government considering is new legislation to reduce speed limits further. Will that work? I'm not convinced. Again, I do agree with Verona that unless that's brought along with extra enforcement and a lot more enforcement, they'll, they'll make no difference whatsoever. And we're not enforcing the existing speeding laws. And I don't think for the most part that we need to change the speed limits. There are plenty of instances around the country where a lower speed limit might be appropriate. But one of the key points here, the RSA also quotes in its figures, is that inappropriate speed is what causes accidents a lot of time. And that isn't always the speed limit. So for a given situation, for a given road circumstances, weather, etc., it's inappropriate speed. So sometimes it's inappropriate to speed to go at the speed limit, for instance. So if the speed limit's 80, but it's a it's a bad night and the roads are poor, you know, pull it back down yeah, to exactly. 50. That's what think, you should be doing. So is that down to driver education? Exactly. Then? Yeah, I think this is something, and this is a longer term project. This is longer term investment. We need to be investing in our drivers, investing from a young Just, age. Are you talking about bringing it onto the school curriculum, Shane? I think sec from secondary school, we should have... And just back before back. Christmas, I, sorry, James, sorry. just before Christmas, I visited my local secondary school, which is a community school. The students had completed a project in transition year about driver testing in Ireland. And they believed that they needed to see lessons taking place in on rural Ireland roads over where your test is actually carried out, which is in an urban area. So I think what we really need to see is stakeholder engagement, even including but, but younger drivers. Well, I want to ask you that we also know that speed, speed kills. Mm -hmm. But you would be against legislation that would bring speed limits down. No, I'm not against it. I think it's a factor that won't work unless we enforce it. And as it stands, we don't have the guardie to enforce it. So we have to look outside the box, whether that means extra speed vans on places where we don't know that people have been killed because currently mm. you can actually look up where the speed vans are. It, it, albeit it's there to protect us, people are using it as if to say, well, I've passed the van now, I can drive on. Okay. We need to, it needs to be inherent. We need to make these changes within driver behaviour. Whatever, whatever about Garda numbers, James, ineffective enforcement. Do you, do you believe that the enforcement is, you know, fit for purpose across the country right now? I do think it needs to be improved. I want to be very, very clear on that. That's seriously important to me. But I just want to make the point for young drivers, inexperienced drivers on the road, obviously there is a huge urgency around getting them to pass their driver testing. And I'm very concerned. I had a meeting with Forza today and a number of, of the driving testers that were hired on a temporary basis to help reduce queues are now being let go. And just yeah, to give an indication, I think this is important. This is, one fact. this is one key fact. We're going to lose, if this decision is taken by the RSA, about 15,000 tests this year in the capacity of the system, uh, about 1,900 per test centre around the country, if this is allowed to occur. And these are the types of questions I've been... 18 months on the RSA. But the Minister for this. Transport can reverse that decision. Surely it's not just down to the RSA. I mean, the Minister for Transport increased them. Look, there is merit in what Verona is saying. I 
don't want to disagree. It's too important and personal. I suppose issue the big question with this um, is who who makes the rules here? Like who decides? Uh, like there there are there are so many people up and down the country who are waiting to take a driving test, um, and and then we got this huge backlog, and we know the problems that that's causing. Well, my own personal view is I think the, the state agency, the RSA, you know, there needs to be more intervention there. I'm very very clear on that. But who tells and them that? I think that has to come from the cabinet level. And I, I would like to see that happening as the Fianna Fáil spokesperson for transport and as somebody who's worked on these issues for a very substantial amount of time, part of the Transport Committee's work okay. has hugely focused on these areas. So I, I suppose the question is, how is it allowed to happen, James? How, how is that allowed to happen under the remit of the RSA that, you know, when we have such a driving test backlog, yeah. that a number of these driver testers will be let go? Personally, my own view from looking over this, a lot of this has been this post-COVID flux where state agencies and other people with very serious responsibilities around standards have been allowed to persist with these long queues waiting lists that have gone untackled. It's an issue in local government, but also when it comes to, I suppose, driver testing, when it comes to NCT testing as well. And these two are... These two are two very critical components right. when it comes to safety on our roads. Briefly, Shane, do you believe that an overhaul is needed in these two areas? Because we've, we've seen the, the issue of backlogs but at an NCT level. Um, and I know, look, it's getting away from the overall trends we're seeing, but it does come down to road safety as well and, and roadworthiness of cars. It does, but people, drivers. you know, each driver is responsible for their own car's roadworthiness, whether it has an NCT certificate or not. So, yes, there is issues there that has to be fixed for sure driver training and driver education and getting people to pass a test. We shouldn't be rushing to get people to pass a test unless they're experienced, unless they are a good enough driver. And I think there's a key point here missing that you go from theory test to learning how to drive beside somebody to going out on the road. I think there's something missing in the middle. We need some actual physical testing away from the public road. All right, we'll have to leave it there for now. My thanks to James, to Verona and to Shane. Coming up next, our preview of 2024 and a big year ahead in politics. Do stay with us. Welcome back. I'm joined now by Irish Independent Ireland editor Fionnán Sheehan, former Fine Gael TD and pharmacist Kate O'Connell, Green Party councillor and former Dublin Lord Mayor Hazel Chu, and DCU Professor of Politics Gary Murphy, because we're going to look ahead to the big political stories of the year. We're the 3rd of January, Dáil's yet to return, but Fionnán housing, health, justice, we hear about them annually uh, at this stage. They're always the big the big topics um, on the agenda. Is it what the government will be judged on once again, do you believe, this year? Well, you've got the big personality contests uh, going on this year uh, as well with the local and European uh, elections. Uh, two referenda before that, which are kind of an opportunity for people to make a name for, for themselves. Then later on in the summer, you'll have a new European commissioner. Uh, you'll potentially have other possible departures from senior ranks uh, of government uh, as well, either because other jobs come up or people get shafted after bad performances in local European uh, elections. And you will probably before the year is out uh, have a batch of by-elections, unless, of course, you have a general election. And then in the background, influencing us greatly. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You'll have the UK general election before the end of the year and the US presidential uh, election in, in November. So a busy year all around. And you're looking at it at the moment and saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're as, as of now, you say housing will obviously uh, be a... a extremely significant uh, element, particularly in the local elections, but the immigration issue and law and order and justice uh, have also propelled to the, mm -hmm. to the top of the agenda last year. And given that there's going to be so much discussion uh, about our place in Europe uh, and uh, our, our cooperation at that EU level, you'd say that the immigration issue will, will feature very prominently there. So, so given that it's a year that we're seeing the, the local and European elections, that will have an impa impact on how the politics will play out, given yeah. that the local issues when it comes to immigration and that being a European-wide issue as well, um, and those other big issues taking on more of a a sort of a, a European approach that we're looking beyond Ireland's response to given issues. And, and also, I mean, housing for obvious reasons, people will be, will be looking at uh, what role uh, diminishing increasingly over the, over the last number of decades mm. is local government taking uh, in addressing the, the housing crisis. And will the election of individual councillors and shifts in terms of what, what parties uh, are, are heading up local councils, are they, what impact or change in direction that, that is going to have. And obviously, uh, if you're a party like Sinn Féin, you will be emphasising that. You will be saying that there is a lot more that local government could be doing to address it. Hazel, do you believe housing is still where seats will be won and lost in, in the, the local and even in the European elections? Is that going to be the top issue on the doorsteps? Or do you uh, think there's been a change, there's been a shift? No, absolutely. Um, I think given the issues that have emerged in I the I think Fenron's right. Uh, he's bang on the, uh, on the button there in terms of housing. Housing continues to be a big issue and continues to dominate, uh, dominate everything. When we talk about uh, everything in terms of our services, in terms of uh, discourse, it, it roots back to housing. Now, we, we do have more housing being built now than we had in the previous two governments. The question is, is it enough? So, and we've saw, we saw the piece from the minister today talking about the figures that has been hit. But then the question going into locals would be, is that enough while we have still uh, record-breaking uh, homeless figures and also a housing crisis? So it's moving into locals. Every party will be 
will, will be promote, uh, promoting their solutions on the housing crisis and what can be done better. I looked at, through various policies and manifestos in the last while because I chaired a homeless uh, subcommittee in Dublin City Council. And I can tell you that a lot of what is provided is substantiated with, with action. Um, and when you look at the other issues that we're talking about, even law and order issues, um, the rising issue of uh, immigration being something that's become, come into the main political discourse as well, um, Kate, do you think, you know, housing being a common denominator there, where even where this, you know, Ireland is full, full commentary has come from, feeds into Im issues like immigration that we've seen come to the fore? Yeah, you, you almost see like um, where politics has become soundbite driven, simple messages, whereas before it was, you say, civil war politics decided where people went. Now it's more what is bothering you right in this moment. And the immigration issue feeds nicely into the worries people have about housing for their own families and their own communities. And it's ripe there then for, I suppose, trying to needle people who want to be needled or maybe are already annoyed about the housing situation, where it fuels that anti-foreigner or anti-immigration narrative. And that's all then feeding into that, I suppose, what we saw in the riots in the city and that anger online. And all you need to do is perhaps tick enough boxes for someone to vote for you. And that's where the, the worry is, that you'll have this simple message from populist parties and people won't look at the larger picture about the economics of it or where they've come from, where they're going, but more what it matters in the moment. And maybe Irish people will vote like that. I think maybe, I hope we're a more discerning electorate, but maybe those simple messages, it's what we've seen in other countries, and there's no reason for us to believe that we're immune to it here. Do you believe those simple messages will break through um, in the local and European elections, Gary? Or how do you think issues such as immigration, which all the parties really have, have wanted to sort of stay away from, it has to be said, how do you think they'll be politically handled in, in 2024? Yeah, there's been a few solo runs, though, from individual members of pretty much all the main parties, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Labour and Sinn Féin, um, echoing sort of uh, what we might call far-right contrarian voices on the immigration question. And I think that's going to probably uh, continue. But housing and health have been the number one issue for the last two general elections at the exit polls. And I don't think there's any reason to suggest uh, it'll be any different. Uh, this time, I think the immigration and the linking by, by some that immigration with the housing problem is, a, is an issue for the main parties. But, but this morning amongst my junk mail, I had a very glossy leaflet from Sinn Féin, my local Sinn Féin TD, saying, and it was all about housing. This is what's happened, this is the problem, and this is what we're going uh, to do about it. Um, and Sinn Féin, I think, will go with a plan both at local election and when the general election is called to say, if you vote for us, we will make a difference to the, um, to the housing crisis. And I think that message certainly will resonate with many, uh, with, with many people. The, the, problem for the current government and the Fianna Gael part of it in particular is that it's been in power since uh, 2011. It's 13 long years. Um, I think Leo Radker faces in many ways a defining decision of his political career when to call the, uh, the general election. I think there's a strong case to be made that he should call the general election before or at the same time as the local and European elections and not wait for a narrative to develop where Sinn Féin are almost going through much better in, in, in the local and Europeans. 
relative to their terrible performance in 2019. We also know that election campaigns matter much more now than they did before. The sort of predictability of the old so two and a half party a case, system is there's gone. There's a case for, for, for Leo getting, getting the jump and all exactly. of that he and having an election I do. this year. I do. And I, I think, um, no, I don't think he'll do it. I think what might happen with what happened with Enda Kenny in 2016, you wait till the very end. But when you wait till the very end, the... Uh, you know, the electorate gets restless. You know, there's an election coming and I, governments don't tend to do very well in it. And I think Fine Gael would have, should have learned a valuable lesson in 2016. In 2020, he was bounced into it mm. when Fianna Fáil got a bit antsy about confidence and supply. There was going to be a no-confidence motion um, in, uh, in Simon Harris uh, as Minister for Health. And you also have events like who could have predicted at least I certainly couldn't have, that law and order would be a really important issue. Uh, but of course, it will be after the, um, the riots of, uh, of November. But I would suggest that uh, politically, um, yeah, those, those simple messages do resonate clear. But I, I think it's all to play for in Irish politics in 2024. Right. Anything that happened, would you, you agree with that, um, Fiona, that you may, you may see? Or is that something that, that's even been con contemplated in the yeah. Fine Gael ranks that well, they might want to push for an early election. Well, if you look at the, the Sinn Féin situation, there's, there's, a, there's a triple jump there basically coming uh, to them as anticipated as of now. A, 2019 appalling uh, local elections lost nearly half their seats, lost all bar one of their, their European seats uh, as well. This time out, you expect them to come back with something like 300 council seats, expect them to come back with at least four, anything up to six uh, European uh, seats. We know that the, the triple jump is basically make up the losses of, of last time, then the gains that they made in the general election and the gains that they've made they've made since. So what could possibly negate that for them? Well, there's always an element of complacency. If a party is expected to do really well, it's very difficult to get all those, those people out. And we're also seeing that the opinion polls are showing that the parties that are be, is being damaged the most by the far-right rhetoric uh, against... Uh, migration is actually on, on the Sinn Féin's working class vote side. So is there a possibility there that they lose a, a slip? So, But even with complacency, even with losing a, a portion of their votes, they should, by all manner of means, come back historically as the biggest party uh, in the country. And their opinion polls have been yeah. rock solid. Yeah. Their, 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 their opinion poll has been pretty rock solid now. There was a slight dip in the last uh, business post to about 30%, I think. But if you're getting 32%, 10% more than Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, you can expect to get 25 more seats than any of the other two parties, which puts you in the sort of the box seat to form a coalition. And, and to, that's what they will expect, I think. Yeah, and to Gary's point, it's been consistent. So if you look at the last 18 months of uh, polling, it is consistent at 30%. The smaller parties are consistent too, but they have the... the uh, to Fionnum's point about taking from the far right taking from Sinn Féin, it's only minor percentages that they've taken. So they still hold strong at 30%. And they are running three candidates in each local area at the moment. So, And, and um, just speaking of, of, you mentioned the far right there and how the, you know, the, the influence maybe on the Sinn Féin vote. Can you see this interest or concern around immigration sowing the seeds for a far right party to emerge, Kate? Absolutely, because, I mean, you even, I mean, I engage with, normal human, be human beings every day in a pharmacy. And I see the messages emerging. Like people say, well, you know, there's an awful lot of them around here now, or are they working? That those messages, you, you, you hear them, I suppose, becoming mainstream in people's conversations. And I but think- will it, do, you, do you think it'll alter their, their pattern of voting? I mean, if it's, say that's Fine Gael voters saying that to you, do you think they're, they're going to turn their vote? No, I think, I, I do think that 
many of us might have to check our inner racist at times and go, well, okay, this is what we have offered as a country to people fleeing a war-torn country. And we would like to have the same thing reciprocated if anything happened to us. And I do think when people stand back from blockades on roads, buildings being burnt out, I think Irish people do know that is wrong and that isn't representative of what Irish people want to do to people coming into this country or but, people more vulnerable. But the polls would also show that there are concerns, not that the people would be in favour of what we saw, which was like the, the burning out of accommodation that uh, in, in Rings End there recently, or the riots in the city, but that people do have concerns around a lack of communication um, on the issue of, you know, accommodating asylum seekers in small towns and villages. And as a local election issue, it's going to be a hot topic. It is going to be a hot topic. And it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very difficult. Um, and I heard a, a, a local councillor um, for Rings End speak to it the other day. Where it's, it's going to be very, very hard for local representatives to stand up and be true for what they believe in because of the backlash they may get in their local community. And you do want to see local politicians being able to speak the truth and their truth mm. without fear of political backlash and them losing their seat. And I think any politician that fuels the fire, excuse the pun, um, against people who are seeking refuge in this country, I think it needs to be questioned because it feeds into that larger... Um, I suppose. Yeah. Will there be an issue then, I suppose, within the parties around disciplining that, Fionnon? Um, yeah. You know, when you do, you talked about, you know, big personalities and mm. it is the year when everyone's vying for votes that they're going to say things. Of course they are, but it's very destructive. We've seen it all already. We saw it, uh, the problems that, that Fianna Fáil had in, in, in Galway uh, on, on foot of the, the hotel being burned out mm. there. And actually you saw a senior party figure like Eamon O'Keeve kind of coming to Micheál Martin's rescue there and saying, no, this is not uh, representative of, of, of the, the party's uh, views. You have seen a bit of dog whistling around the country from within Sinn Féin as well. And also even this point of like, well, a lack of communication has resulted in this place being burnt down. Well, I'm sorry, you, you can't say it. Well, that's justified because people didn't get a, a leaflet uh, in, the, in the door. So you are going to have those disciplinary matters within the, the three main parties, very much to a lesser degree in terms of the smaller ones. Gary, I want to ask you, there's also two referendums uh, that are taking place around family and care within the constitution and removing among them in that issue around care, it's removing the reference to women in the home. Do you think they excite people? Do you think they are risky at all for government, these referendums? Because they have been um, pushed back a bit uh, and now we're, we're going to see them in the next... Uh, when are we March. March. They're, 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 yeah. they'll be held in March on the same day. I don't sense any great enthusiasm amongst the electorate for uh, these referendums. Having said that, uh, people have campaigned for the removal of these uh, clearly antediluvian clauses in the Constitution about a woman's place in the home uh, for decades. But there's no enthusiasm amongst even that progressive side uh, of the electorate uh, because the government seems to have been made a bit of a hames of its uh, of its wording. And I know many in the care community in particular are worried about this, the use of the word strive, that the government will strive uh, to do a better job. Um, and constitutions are like are supposed to be our sort of North Star, you know, that these are our guiding sort of light. Um, and I think it's replacing one pretty poor wording uh, with wording that isn't a huge amount better. Now, I do think there is risk for uh, the government. Um, it goes back to the point we, we just talked about in terms of 
uh, the so-called far right. But in terms of independent politicians coming forward, we saw it with the children's referendum uh, over a decade ago. Um, you had discordant voices there who didn't make any great fist in of the subsequent local elections. Um, but you could see people, um, because I think, you know, broadcasters like yourself, you might struggle to get people to come on uh, and uh, defend... Um, um, keeping the, uh, the the clause, so who knows? Well, there are people um, out there. There certainly are, are, and they're no, willing but, to but debate. They, but they're, 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 there's one other point I would make clear in relation to the question you asked, uh, Fionn and Kate. I mean, forming a new party is difficult. You've got questions of organisation, questions of finance, questions mm -hmm. of putting capable people on panels to be quizzed uh, by yourself, because not everybody can do it. Um, as I think Sinn Féin have sort of phoned to their cost. Um, um, so, so there are difficulties there, but I do think there is the potential for significant votes for independence on this uh, on this issue. But I think also just to note that we, we don't see the formation of the far right parties being uh, having strength within local and national government, but there are already people in there that have those views, that have been pushing that rhetoric. And what we need now is to see leadership across the board coming up to elections. If you want to have a discussion or a debate on immigration, absolutely. But a discussion or a debate or communication does not mean consultation and does not mean the debating of whether one has a right to belong in a community or not. And that's what we need to take away from that conversation. Separate out those issues. Okay. Uh, okay, briefly, I just want to go back um, to what Gary was saying about maybe not being a bad time for Fine Gael, um, you know, and to have a general election. Uh, what would you say to that? Do you well, think there's a, it's a good time? And we've seen a lot of Fine Gael uh, TDs announcing that they are not going to run in the next election. The party is uh, shedding TDs. Where are they going to find new talent? Well, if you look to, first of all, the referendums that are due, if they're lost, that's not a very good starting point for the locals and the Europeans for the government parties if either of those are, are lost. And in terms of fodder for the far right, both have lots of elements, a bit like the Eighth Amendment referendum mm. and the marriage equality referendum. There is enough seed there to sow hatred for the locals and the Europeans. So that's March. Then that takes you to the summer. I think it's so unlikely ever that politicians' summer holidays will ever be disturbed by an election. Bertie Ahern did it, he did it successfully. Yeah, yeah but it, it's very unusual. The holidays are sacred. So you've only got a very small window, but I do agree, it's going to be very, very hard to fill up those spots that are vacant. Is it 8 to 10 now? Any interest? Yeah, 10. Um, I'm not actually in, in, in a place where someone has freshly resigned, but in the other countries or counties mm. or constituencies, you have eight to ten. If it were ten. an option. If it were an option for me, for Fine Gael or in general or for Oh, actually, OK, let's, let's Europe, broaden it out. Locals <laughs> or Cheltenham. Um, <laughs> Fine Gael or A and other. Um, well, I mean... Well, would you consider it? I mean, I mean, is it, you know what I mean? Is I it, yeah, I know, but, no, but I mean, I wasn't, I was in the past. I was in the past. I don't sit on a, an available list for Fine Gael. However, I am deeply interested in national politics. Whether the next time is the time for me, I don't know. Okay, that's, that, you definitely didn't say no to that. Anyway, <laughs> no, I didn't say no. <laughs> very colours, great colours. hint of sock them purple coming off uh, Kate there tonight. So maybe that's a... Subliminal message being sent out there to Holly Cairns if she's watching you're, in you're down saying, in you're, you're stating right. the message now. Yeah, well, um, yeah. It's, it's, it's just colours. It's yeah. just colours. <laughs> it's just colours. Okay, well, my panel is staying on with me. Coming up next, uh, big elections are due in the United States and the UK this year. We'll talk about them. Stay with us.
welcome back, Irish Independent Ireland editor Fiannan Sheehan, former Fine Gael TD and pharmacist Kate O'Connell, Green Party councillor and former Dublin Lord Mayor Hazel Chu and DCU Professor of Politics Gary Murphy are all still with me. We're moving on now to politics abroad and the big elections that are taking place. We're going to look to the US first. Um, what do you believe will happen there, Gary Murphy? We have Biden and well, potentially Trump. We know um, as of tonight that he's appealed to uh, the Supreme Court, the decision of the state of Colorado, uh, not to let him run in their state, but he is appealing that to the Supreme Court. Yeah, and he's also been uh, removed from the ballot in Maine, uh, but again, the expectation is his team will also appeal that. And I think also the expectation is that the Supreme Court will grant him relief and put him back on the, the ballot. Now, he was upset at the Supreme Court way back in 2021, uh, this time three years ago, uh, when you now have the insurrection of January the 6th uh, coming up because the Supreme Court didn't intervene in the election the way it did in 2000 with Al Gore uh, and George uh, Bush. Um, but I, the Supreme Court is rock-solid conservative and we would expect that Mr. Trump will be put back on the ballot. He has the Republican nomination all but locked up. There is some uh, talk of Nikki Haley doing better than expected, but I think the base is so solid for Trump, um, notwithstanding his legal travails, four cases against him, that he should be on the ballot. And it'll be the first time since 1956 um, if we have a, a rematch between Trump and President Biden. Now, again, President Biden has all but the Democratic nomination locked up. The only thing stopping him will be if he decides uh, not to stand because the polls are bad or because he has a uh, an ailment. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's he won. Um, he's... Ailment, you see, you're bringing his age into No, but there, I think Gary. it's very important because if Well, you... it is, but it is. No, well, it yeah, is. Tr Trump is an, old, uh, is, is an older man as well. So no, exactly. It, it's, but it's an interesting... It's you're going to have four months of hectic campaigning. America, and, like... I think Joe Biden got a bit lucky in 2020 uh, with COVID. Um, and, uh, but American elections are really gru grueling. Trump seems to have never-ending Duracell bunny energy. Uh, I think it'll be a rematch, but I still give Joe Biden a pretty good chance because it'll be about eight to ten states. Um, abortion rights is still a critical issue. Women are very upset still about the, uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. On its own, it probably won't be enough, but there was figures out today. The American economy is extraordinarily robust. There are cost of living and inflation issues, so I think it's all to play for. So maybe uh, it does come down to the economy. Um, it comes down to economy, legislative As it officials. generally does yeah. in US and, politics. And his polling figures aren't bad. They're at 47%. And, uh, but they're not Trump, great at this, they're, they're at, not, at this stage for an incumbent They're president. not, That's they're not. Problem, but yes. they're like, Trump is at 43, yes. which is also unprecedented because you're looking at a man who has 91 criminal charges against him and four court cases coming up uh, with felony charges. And he happens to be charge, uh, uh, challenging the sitting president. But at the same time, the sitting president is at 47% and with a lot to campaign for. So I think he has had brought in more legislative change in the last uh, term than uh, previous pre presidents. The economy is growing. The cost of living crisis is an issue. But again, to Gary's point, uh, uh, women's rights and abortion rights will be front and centre and he will be but able to champion that. He's also taken a that. hit in the polls, uh, not least due to his stance on, on the Israel. war in yeah. Gaza. Uh, you know, is that likely to impact on him, you know, I suppose his foreign policy and where he's going from there and how how people perceive him in the country oh, and his impact. ability to take on those big... Uh, diplomatic roles outside yeah. of the US. It'll impact his left and progressive vote, but at the same time, there's still a core vote there. And, and there's PAC money that runs from, uh, coming from the Israel source as well. So that, that's where he's choosing from. In an election year, he's not going to pull away from that. Uh, Fiona, let's talk about what's happening in the UK. Uh, I mean, 
Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak. Uh, the battle of the boars. <laughs> and, and actually, given what's gone on in the UK for the last 10 years, they could do with a boring election <laughs> uh, between two guys who will be heavily embedded in, in policy and, and so on. Less of the ideology and entertainment. Uh, you could see it last time, now four and a half years ago, uh, you had the, the two extremes, and all Johnson had to do was just sit in the middle and allow Jeremy Corbyn, who was an absolute disaster for the Labour Party in the UK, for Ireland, and for the whole of the European Union, uh, to basically so, just be the figurehead that he was up against. Does, does Keir, Keir Starmer hold more appeal in, in, in that case, Kate? Well... It's, it's, it's back to, um, they're probably worn out looking at the Conservatives. I know Rishi is, is new, but that whole length of time that they've been in power. So all Keir has to do is offer a credible alternative to what's there already. And they're still suffering from the side effects of the Liz Truss quasi-budget. And their economy isn't great. And they're, I mean, they still have to make up for Brexit. And Alistair Campbell was saying the other day, they're 4% less well-off as a result of Brexit. I mean, that's huge on a family's pocket. That's going to be very, very hard to go back and sell an electorate. We said this was a good idea, but actually we're back to the economy. It's the bottom line was in people's pockets. Um, so Kira is there. I'd say, I'd say he'll do it, but unless he makes an absolute bag of it somewhere right. along the way. OK, we've called it here. Uh, that is it from us. My thanks to all our panel tonight. Our programme is available as a, a podcast on all major platforms. From all the late team here... Good night. Take care.